talking a while on the uh, on sort of the other side of this uh, other side of this topic. So, um, then I'll take you to, to start. How would you sort of summarize where we've been the past three weeks? Um, what have we talked about? Anything? All the dangers of money and placing our our trust in it and loving good. it. Good, good, good. What were some of the evidences that we're, that we're trusting in it? We talked about that last week. Um, just having wealth, we're going to see today, isn't, isn't wrong. Um, how, how do I know I'm trusting it? What were some of the things we mentioned last week? Some evidences the Bible gives us. Some of our Good, good, good. It's, it's not kingdom oriented. Right? I mean, again, we're going to see today. Nothing wrong with pursuing wealth and money, but but it's a it's a value. There's no the kingdom has no factor in it. So okay, good. Not done prayer either. It's not dependent. So good. What else? How do I know I'm trusting in? It, uh, it leads to self reliance hmm. and lack of trust in God. Good, good. Yep. And that that's exposed just in casualness going through life. I, I prayed less. I. I, I Read less. I, you know, I'm just more casual with my pursuit. Good, good. Because I, I got everything I need. Well, why do I need the Lord? Yeah. What else? What, what, what are some other things that, that you learned, maybe uh, regarding trusting? Or the first lesson we talked about loving riches, loving it more than we love righteousness. The second week we talked about trusting it more than we trust the Lord. So, anything else stood out to you? Helpful to you? You know, one more big one is uh, either ignore. Eternal reality mm. yep. down the road. You just yep. so you know you don't think about the future or what could happen. And uh, excellent, you're yep. just living right there in the present with no thought. Good. That's that's sort of where we ended last week, just talking about the rich fool again, and he stored up treasure for himself, and he's not rich towards God. I mean, he's just neglected eternity and found all of his hope and security and the abundance of his possessions and. We contrast that with the end of that passage in Luke, where it tells us to store up treasure in the in the in the kingdom, in the heavens, um, and that will actually guard us from uh, a life devoted to, to wealth and riches. So, so it's good. So that's where we've been, sort of on the negative, if you want to call it, the, the negative side of, of this topic. Um, but really, before we could talk about the goodness and the uses and the pursuit of wealth and riches, it was important to talk about these negative warnings to, to balance us, to, to sort of hem us in. Um, and if we were not depraved, we wouldn't have to spend so much time. Uh, we've said a number of times, the problem is not with money. The problem is not with stuff. It's with me. It's with my heart that that just bent to trust anything and love anything rather than God. Um, so um, now that we've talked about these, these hard attitudes, these warnings that are meant to guard us, we're now prepared to talk about um, how we should relate properly. What, what's the right way we should view wealth? What's the right way we should use um, wealth? Recognize its goodness and its potential for God's glory and for our joy. Um, it's a good thing. So that's my goal this morning. Um, before we get into this side of, of wealth, I want to take a minute. You can see in your outline, the first point is talk about the nature of wealth and poverty. Um, we've talked about this a number of times. And that Proverbs is far from being sort of simplistic. It's not a simplistic book, um, even though on a, you know, a surface level reading, it seems like it is. 
Um, it's very nuanced in how it talks about wealth and, and poverty. It's not just a simple do good, you get good, you do bad, you, you get bad. Um, it, it, it shows us sort of all the angles, all the exceptions to the, to the general rules. Um, and it's true, all things being equal in an ideal life, the righteous will experience an abundance. And the wicked will experience destitution. Um, but there's many exceptions to that, to that rule. We, we don't live in an ideal world. Um, things don't function as, as it should. Life is complicated. And, and Proverbs knows about this. And it tells us that one may be wealthy through righteousness, but one may be wealthy through wickedness. One may be in poverty through righteousness, one may be in poverty through wickedness. Um, flip to the back side of your, your outline. I, I sort of have a little chart here so you can sort of think through and look these up and sort of all the different sources of, of wealth and poverty. Um, wealth can come through righteousness, whether that's in the form of Lord's blessing and hard, honest labor and generosity. Um, we're trying to flesh some of these out as we, as we go. Um, but it also might come through wickedness, whether it's deceit or bribery or stinginess or injustice. Um, poverty may also come through righteousness, like we've talked before, choosing, being willing to give up even on, uh, on uh, making it rich because I'm choosing to obey God rather than compromise or being taken advantage of by the wicked or even by just God's sovereign purposes. Like the book of Job, he lost everything. And it wasn't because of anything he did. It was, it was God's sovereign purposes. Um, and then wickedness uh, can lead to poverty as well. So for all those, all those reasons, you can look it up. So I want to begin here because this topic of money is uh, probably more than any other topic in the book of Proverbs, the most abused um, and the most misunderstood. Um, prosperity gospel is one uh, big example. Um, and it's because the book is not read as a whole. Um, individual proverbs are taken out just sort of isolated and made entire truths to stand on, them, on their own. And they're not meant to do that. Um, so that's why it's important to sort of pull together all these nuances so we see the whole picture of what the book is teaching us. Um, so let me give you a few implications before we move on uh, to sort of unpack this, this first point. First thing is don't look at your spiritual condition through the lenses of your economic condition. In other words, don't draw conclusions about your spiritual condition, how you're doing spiritually with God, based on how you're doing economically, how you're doing physically. Um, from this chart, we can see that one's economic condition, his wealth or poverty, is no sure indicator of his relationship with God. The wicked may be in prosperity and the righteous may be. It's no absolute indicator. And uh, um, this is the error of Job's friends, right? They, they drew a conclusion about Job's spirituality based on these things that are taking place. And they said, well, you're, you're suffering like this, so there must therefore be some sin in your life. And this is the first danger we have to be, be careful of. It's no sure indicator. This is a problem in, in the New Testament with the Jews. They assume that if you are in sickness or poverty, it must be divine judgment on you. Uh, think of the rich man at Lazarus. They would have assumed that he's, he's in sin. Or the, uh, the poor man, in, I mean, the, the, the blind man in John 9. They thought it's divine judgment. Uh, it's not always an indication. Nor is his riches. The disciples were astonished that Jesus said a rich man 
will be impossible for him to enter the kingdom. They're supposed to be the most, the most spirit, the blessed, the blessed by God. Uh, it's no sure indicator. And uh, sort of in modern culture, we have the, the opposite problem. The rich are assumed to be the, those who got rich by injustice, and the, the poor are, are so because they've um, been taken advantage of. And the problem with all these paradigms is that they're oversimplistic. Um, the Bible, especially Proverbs, calls us to a more nuanced view of life. Life is not simplistic. Um, and it calls us to deal with our hearts based on the scripture's evaluation of us, regardless of our economic condition. Um, so uh, that's the first thing I want to point out. Don't look at your spiritual condition through the lenses of your economic condition. Don't try to draw conclusions. Oh, I must be this or this because this is what's happening in, in life. Number two. Don't do that, but rather look at your physical or economic condition through the lenses of your spiritual condition. In other words, look at your life, no matter what's going on, wealth, poverty, health, sickness, based on what the scripture says about you. Um, are you living a life of repentance, trusting the gospel? Persevering in discipleship to Christ? Are you cultivating the values of the book of Proverbs? If so, then look at on your prosperity, if that's your lot, as God's blessing and his gift to you and um, to be used for his purposes. Or look on your poverty, if that is your lot, as God's good purpose for you. Because you're in Christ and, and it all works for um, to test you and teach you and mold you into his image. Look at your life, no matter your circumstances, through the lenses of your identity with Christ. And let that define uh, how you consider your economic condition, your, your, your physical condition. Or are you living a life that's not repenting, neglecting the gospel, not following Christ and his commandments? Then you're to look on your prosperity as something that's quickly passing away. It might be enjoyed for a short time, but it's, it's going to be gone. Or look on your poverty, if that's what you have. There's only a foretaste of the judgment that's, that's coming. So um, that's the proper lenses. We, we don't look at our spiritual condition based on our economic, but rather our economic and physical based on what the scripture says about us. And that, that's how we're going to be approaching this. Number three, keep your focus on the eternal. And this is exactly what Paul just prayed a minute ago. Um, regardless of your condition in this life, Remember, there are no guarantees. We don't have a guarantee, especially as members of the new covenant. Uh, we are only guaranteed one thing in this life, and that is suffering and persecution. That's the only guarantee that we have. But the ultimate end is where Proverbs calls our focus to. It's always pointing us beyond at the ultimate end of a, of a righteous life. It might pay in this life, but it might not. But it most certainly, ultimately will in the life to come. And that's where Proverbs is pointing us. And that is where we must keep our focus. Um, your condition now may or may not align with your eternal condition. Um, so make that your primary concern and make that motivate you um, through life. Um, flip, flip over to uh, Psalm 70, 73. Just to give you an example, we were here um, not long ago, but I'll show you again. Uh, the psalm is a famous psalm by Asaph, and he's wrestling with 
the wicked are prospering, the righteous are suffering. I love how he uh, he deals with this situation. In, in verse 3, he's saying he's envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Um, he says, I've kept my heart pure in vain. Um, drop down to verse 13. All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands of innocence. I, it, it's profited me nothing. The wicked are prospering, the righteous are suffering. What, what's the point? Look down at verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. That is our focus. That is what we're focusing on. No matter what's going on to us in this life, no matter if you're suffering because of righteousness and the wicked are enjoying up the goodness of life, it's the end that will keep us stable. It's the end focus. This, this is the best that the wicked gets. It, it goes downhill from here. This is all they got. Um, we have eternity to look forward to. And that has to be our focus and what keeps us um, keeps us going. So, so that's the first sort of point, the, the, the nature of wealth and, and, and poverty. Um, any thoughts, questions, comments before we sort of move on um, here? <clears throat> All right, so um, this is where I want to focus uh, on the rest of our, our time. is the goodness and, and purposes of wealth. Um, our study so far has been pretty negative, uh, focusing on the dangers, the heart-level dangers and attitudes as we relate to, to wealth. Um, but we're going to see that the book of Proverbs actually has a lot of positive things to say about wealth and money. It's not negative. It's, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's what I want to... Uh, emphasize today. The first thing we're going to see under this point is that wealth and money are good because they are for the purpose of supplying one's needs. Um, Proverbs speaks many times about the need to work hard and urge money to keep yourself out of poverty. And uh, poverty in Proverbs means lacking the, the basic necessities to sustain life. It's not talking about, you know, the modern U.S. tax bracket, whether you're in the, the poverty category or not. It means you don't have the, the necessary resources to sustain life. Um, and it's never a virtue. Proverbs never commends poverty. It might happen to you, but it should never be anything we are content with or, or, or we pursue. Um, it may be experienced by the righteous, but it's not a virtue. Um, Agor prayed this way. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And he says, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Um, Agur's concern most, more than anything else is his relationship with God. And he's not going to make his life's goal riches or, or poverty. And, uh, that's what he's aiming at. Poverty, like riches, brings temptations. Um, it deprives a person of what is needed to sustain life. And it deprives a person of things to use for righteousness. Um, so, so it's not a virtue. And money is good because it can keep us out of poverty. It can sustain life, and that's why it's good. And it's the means that God uses to sustain life. So look at chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, <clears throat> verses 15 and 16. Sort of connects where we were in the past couple weeks. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. Talked about that. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. 
And I think the purpose of this verse is to show us that, that neither is an ideal. Neither should be the aim of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the righteous. You crave well so you can trust in it. That's folly. And then you neglect um, earning wealth by God's means of work. And you have poverty. And that, that's ruin. That's folly as well. Both are to be avoided. Um, and then he goes on to the wage of righteous. The righteous leads to, to life. So... Um, both are dangers. Both are things to be avoided. Flip over to chapter 12, verse, verse 11. It says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. Why? It's because he's going to earn a living. It will it'll, it'll provide his basic needs to sustain life. That's why money and wealth and possessions are good. It's to sustain life. It's God's means for that. It's not a bad thing. And later you can go look at chapter 28, 19, say the same thing. So it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good gift from the Lord for this purpose. Um, next, money is to be enjoyed. Money, possessions, and wealth are to be enjoyed. I did not say idolized. I did not say hoarded. I did not say devoted to. It's just simply to be enjoyed. It's a good gift from God. It's not wrong. So let me give you a few passages. I'm going to need your help to look up. Someone help me find Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. Who can do this one? Probably have one for everybody. So, okay. All right, Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13. Who can do this one? All right. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. Okay. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 14. Okay, uh, Patsy. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8, 15. Tuck. And then Ecclesiastes 9, 7, and 9. Josh. Okay. This is a massive thing in the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, so let's just read them fast. All right, Ecclesiastes 2. Please cut that. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? Chapter 3. Let's cut that one. I know, that, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. <clears throat> it is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. It's good. Chapter 5. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and given him power to eat of to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. It's good. Chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. It's good. That's a, that's a paradigm <coughs> verse right there. And uh, we don't have time to spend on it, but it's good. So, yeah. All right. Chapter 8, verse 15.
because that is your portion of life when you toil at which you toil under the sun. Good, good. And, and you hear the same thing echoed in the book of Timothy. In chapter 6, it says, God has given us richly all things, why? To enjoy. It's a good gift from God for the, the righteous to enjoy. And First uh, Timothy 4 also talks about the false teaching, the people that, that tell you to abstain from food and marriage. Paul says, here are good gifts to be received with thanksgiving to enjoy. That's another purpose of what God has provided us with, whatever it is. If you're a person following him, one of his disciples, he's provided possessions, money, wealth, whatever it is to provide your basic needs and for you to enjoy, to give thanks to him for it. It's not to be hoarded, not to be idolized. We've already talked about those dangers, but it's to be enjoyed. Next, money is to be used for righteousness. And the primary way money is used for righteousness in the book of Proverbs is in generosity, liberality, giving to those in need. The righteous are to pursue getting wealth and using wealth not only for their personal needs, not only to be enjoyed, but the righteous seek to make more than they need so they can have something to give. Go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. This is what's driving their, their pursuit of, of wealth. Proverbs 21, verses 25 through 26. It says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. This gives us this contrast between the sluggard and the righteous. The sluggard desires an abundance for his selfish purposes. He's craving it. He's not willing to put forth the God-ordained means to, to getting it. Um, and it's going to result in his death. He's not going to have anything. But the righteous are those who labor. And ideally, they possess a, an abundance. But what I want to zoom in here is verse 26b. Look how it, how it contrasts. While the sluggard's craving and craving for his selfish ambition, his desires, look at the righteous. What is driving the righteous? He gives and he doesn't hold back. The righteous has plenty and he's characterized by giving liberally. The sluggard wants wealth. Why? For his own cravings, his own desires. And so he has nothing. But the righteous possess wealth for the primary purpose so that they can do what? Give it away. That's what's driving them in their pursuit. But this is their main goal. This is their pursuit. They can have an abundance so they can have something to give away. Flip to Ephesians chapter chapter 4. You can hold your finger in the book of Proverbs. I think Paul is thinking about this exact thing when he, when he writes this. Ephesians chapter 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let him who stole steal no longer um, work with his hands so he'll have something to give. That's the, the paradigm. Those who used to be characterized by selfish pursuit of wealth, um, theft, Rather than toil, 
um, conversion changes them. And that now they are pursuing wealth through the God ordained means, which is work. But this labor goes beyond uh, the, the, this verse goes beyond it. His labor to acquire money is not just to provide his basic needs, but it's to do what? So that he has something to give. That's what's driving his his work. Piper put it this way. He says, we work to get to give. That's the paradigm. We work to get to give. We work to get. Is that what is driving my, my labors? And yeah, I, I, I'm working so I can sustain my needs. That's right. I work to enjoy life. That's right. But is this a factor? Do I work to get so that I can have something to give? That is the purpose and the right use of our money. And I saw a beautiful illustration of this earlier this year when I was in Nepal. And um, the believers there are, as you know, far from wealthy. They're, they live in awful poverty. Um, and many factors contribute to that. It's a good example of righteous people love the Lord and they're suffering this. Um, but one thing the, the Nepali evangelists do is they, they go to these poor villages um, to preach the gospel, but they teach people about hygiene and and health and how to be more productive on, on their farms and uh, they use it as a platform for the gospel um, but then after these people come to Christ and they, they, they're saved and become members of the church um, the evangelists continue to teach the people and um, most of the people are used to just growing and raising whatever's needed to for their life so whatever they grow they eat whatever they raise they use for themselves but after they become Christians, um, they're taught by the church not just to raise enough chickens or goats to meet their basic needs, but to raise maybe two more chickens or another goat so they can have a little bit more, sell a few more eggs or sell a little bit more milk, whatever it is, so they can have something to give to the church in order to support their pastor. That's exactly what this verse is talking about. That's a biblical paradigm. That's how... We should be functioning as well. Um, we pursue money to meet our basic needs, to be enjoyed, and also to be used for righteousness. And um, I'm just introducing this topic of generosity in this lesson, and my goal is next week to do a whole lesson on it. I mean, Proverbs has tons to talk about with motivations and, and guiding um, principles for us, um, but, but it's a big, big truth. It's what, what is driving us. Um, so let's move on to the third and final point here is the um, the sources of enduring wealth uh, for the wise, righteous. Uh, we've talked about the goodness of it. It's not bad. It's, it has a purpose. Um, but where does it come from? And notice I, I call it enduring wealth. That's what we're concerned about. The wicked make it wealth. And the sluggard may stumble upon wealth from time to time, but it's not enduring. It doesn't last Usually it doesn't even last in this life, and it certainly doesn't last in the life to come. Um, we want enduring wealth, and that is wealth that is gained God's way and used for God's purposes. That's what we are after. But where does it come from? How do we get it? What is God's ordained way to possess wealth and money? So first, it, it comes from a wise life. Go back to Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 24 comes from a wise life. And again, keep everything balanced, like we've said. Um, 
no guarantee for this life, but in general it comes from a, all things being equal, it comes from a life that's lived in wisdom. Chapter 14, um, verse 24. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. All things being equal, in general, you live a wise life, it's probably going to go pretty well for you. And again, there's exceptions. Look at the outline in the back. Um, all the ways that poverty may come upon a righteous person. Injustice, being taken advantage of the wicked. Um, it's what's happening to the Christians in Nepal. But in general, um, wisdom leads to this. And it's a good thing for all the reasons we've said. This leads to our next point. Um, what does a wise life look like as it pursues wealth? That's our next point. It looks like honest toil. Honest means all the virtues of the book. You don't bribe, you don't steal, you don't take advantage of others. Um, put down others to promote yourself. And it looks like toil, the ideas of sweat and perspiration and hard, rigorous work. The goodness of wealth and all the things that it's for is to be obtained by this God-ordained means. And all of those purposes that we talked about are motivations for us to pursue wealth. Why do, I, why do I go to work? It's so I can provide my basic needs, enjoy life, and have something to give. That's what's motivating me. And that's what Proverbs wants to motivate us. We don't sit back passive. We actively get to work and labor for these things. It's the God-ordained means. The primary way we to pursue wealth is through hard work. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about hard work versus sloth and the sluggard. And man, there's some good uh, principles. I'm excited about it. And the sluggard is a funny character, and he's the one that I laugh at the most. Man, when I turn around and look, I'm often, um, I'm often him. And uh, it's uh, really good. So looking forward to that. But this week, I uh, just want to hammer away at, the, at this point that this is the God-ordained means to, um, to getting wealth to getting riches for all the reasons we said. Um, look at chapter 10, verse 4. Look there. This is going to be a foretaste of what's going to come, but chapter 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs is not discouraging riches. He's, it's encouraging hard labor, so that you have possessions for all the reasons we have already said. Um, so this leads us to the next point. That wealth and money, while they do come through hard work, they ultimately come from the Lord's blessing. He always blesses. Look to verse 22, chapter 10, verse 22. And these verses are meant to be held together. Yeah, you pursue it, riches through hard work, but ultimately, where does it come from? Chapter 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. That's where it comes from. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Um, it's important to, um, before we go any further, recognize the two errors we've pointed out um, so far. First is that Yahweh's blessing always comes in the form of material prosperity. Is that true? It's not true. A lot of times his blessing comes in other forms, in painful discipline. It's not always true. It's sometimes true, though. The other error is that all those who have material prosperity are blessed of the Lord. Is that true? It's clearly not true. We've already seen those exceptions. 
Um, so hold those errors in mind, but at the same time, this is a truth. Recognize this is a truth. This verse is saying um, that the righteous, God-fearing, hard-working, wise people, when they enjoy prosperity, this is where they must trace it. That's the point. If you're looking through your life, this wisdom, and all of us are enjoying prosperity in this room. None of us are in poverty, according to Proverbs. And we have... Um, we, we drove here um, this morning in a car. I mean, um, we have an abundance. We really do, compared to most of the, of the world. And the point of Proverbs is to call our eyes back to this. This is where it's ultimate comfort. You say, well, I worked for it. Yeah, you did. That's the God-ordained means. But ultimately, we're going to comfort. It came from him. He's the one that blessed us. He is the ultimate source through his ordained means. Any abundance we enjoy as believers... Trusting Christ, following him, obeying him, must be traced back here. So we've got to read these, these verses together. Tripper Longman said that this verse should lead the godly rich to look, not at their own efforts, but rather to God for the reason of their well-being. And Charles Bridges put it this way. The sluggard looks for prosperity without diligence. The practical atheist... From diligence alone, the sound-hearted Christian from the blessing of God and the exercise of diligence. The wise combination keeps him in an active habit, humble and dependent on God. So you can say it this way. Trust in God to provide your needs does not look like passiveness. It does not look like inactivity. That's the way of the sluggard. Rather, trusting God to provide your needs expresses itself in giving yourself to God's ordained needs. Hard work. That's what trusting God looks like. That's how we express it. We do dependent labor. We toil with trust. We fight our trust in wealth not by ceasing to earn it. We fight our trust in wealth by giving ourselves to God's ordained means. And then by devoting what we've earned to his purposes. So uh, there's a lot of implications we can, can pull from, from these truths of the ordained means, which is hard work, and the ultimate source is God's blessing. Um, throw it out to you, though. What are some uh, things we can take away um, from the connection between these two verses? Just implications for us, how we should respond to wealth and, and prosperity that, that we enjoy, that has come through hard labor, and yet it's ultimately the Lord's blessing. What are some just practical implications for, for our lives, seeing these two verses um, together? Any thoughts? How should it sort of change the way we think about it, change the way we use it? <clears throat> yeah. I just think of um, our, our attitudes as we work. Hmm. That um, I've seen people who just hate their jobs yeah. and hate to go to work and, you know, hmm. and you go to certain places and you think we're just a number, we're not, you know, I, yeah. I think the whole attitude of God has blessed you with this job, yeah. maybe just for this particular time, but um, to, to realize that God's in control of where you are today. That's, good. That's a good thing. I mean, it, it's not supposed to be easy. And a lot of people hate their yeah. jobs and they're yeah. looking for something else and, you know, you can yeah. still see God's direction in moving you to sure. something else, but yeah. he wants you to be content today. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And one of the neat things about Proverbs is the uh, 
the whole work and toil and sweat is really a picture of, of how we pursue righteousness. It's, it often is hard and it's toilsome and sweat, and you don't get the immediate fruit. The fruit comes later. You're working in the field, planting, harvesting. You don't get fruit till, till later, and often that's how it works in the Christian life. We labor for righteousness, and you don't get the fruit, but it's coming, and, and that, that, that's sort of the, the paradigm. So very good, very helpful. And he says, do you work hard enough? Yeah. As to the Lord. That's right. That's right. Not necessarily for me. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot we get to talk about in the weeks to come on, on, on labor. But any, any other implications between these two verses? Uh, hard works that God ordained means, and the ultimate source is the Lord. That's where our money's coming from. Yeah, Mike. Um, <laughs> one thing that I think just came from John Piper, I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but it helped me kind of think through the the blessings of God, whether it's health or wealth or, or spiritual blessings or whatever else, um, but especially material blessings. Um, a good way to, to think about it, I think, is as a foretaste of what will come on the new earth, um, what Jesus' death has purchased for us, um, for a Christian, for, a, for an unbeliever, it's God's grace now giving you time to repent. Um, and it will be a judgment if they don't repent. Um, but for a believer, it's a foretaste of the eternal blessings that we'll receive. Um, and I think that's a great, a great motivation to keep it in, if you keep it in that perspective. Um, it reminds us of what's to come, um, and also when we will receive not just all the gifts of God, but God Himself in unbroken fellowship. Um, and then also the when we lack something here, it's a good reminder that we're not there yet. Yeah. And this this life here is not our ultimate goal. Yeah, it's helpful. That's really good. So so recognizing that all this stuff that's coming to me, even through my hard work, it's a gift of God reminding me it's it's the giver. It's meant to point me back to him and to desire him and want him. Excellent. That's good. <clears throat> Anything else? Any other thoughts? You know, uh, yep. like uh, I shared this uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about this as well, but it's just, I always go back to this verse. It's a foundation verse back in Deuteronomy that I think really so much is based on. Yep. And you've already touched on it, but it's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get well. Excellent. Excellent. It seems like that. It's just all, it's yep. all founded on that. Yep. It's all from God. That's good. That's really good. Amen. So, so yeah, get to, we, we must work. We toil. It's come from Him ultimately. Um, here, here's a few implications I thought. Um, it keeps us from selfishness, recognizing that anything I have is from the Lord. Yeah, I labored for it. I put forth the effort, but it's ultimately from Him. And it's to be used for His purposes. Keep me from selfishness. Produce Thanksgiving. I mean, what a preparation for, for what we're going to celebrate in a few days. Thanksgiving, give thanks. Um, prosperity, wealth, the food that you're going to enjoy. It's a gift from God. It's to be enjoyed, to produce Thanksgiving. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, to produce Thanksgiving um, for his goodness and kindness to us. Um, to keep us from pride, thinking, look at how much better I am. I earn this much more. I came from the Lord. Yeah, I work, but it's from him. And it's ultimately to keep us trusting in, in the Lord. Um, 
So let me, let me, let me just finish with this last point there in your outline. Oh, there's one more source of the uh, possessions and riches or whatever it is. Um, doesn't only come through a wise life or a hard-working life or the Lord's blessing, um, the basic needs, enjoyments, um, generosity, all these things that we possess, we pursue. It also comes from the fear of, of the Lord. Look at chapter 22, verse, verse 4. That's appropriate um, verse to end on. Chapter 2, verse 4. It says, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord... Those two are equal in, in Hebrews. It's not talking about two separate things. It's what humility is. It's the fear of the Lord. The reward for humility, i.e. the fear of the Lord, is riches and honor and life. And I think it's a fitting end. It's because this verse promises life. The wicked are never promised life. The wicked never enjoy life. Life in Proverbs is always looking beyond the grave. That's where it's pointing us to, and that's where it's pointing us to um, in the riches. It's the eternal focus, like I'm talking, several of you were, were talking about. Um, so think about it this way. Um, those who fear the Lord are not devoted to riches, and they don't pursue them wrongly. They pursue them the way God has ordained. But those whose life ambition is to acquire wealth, like the sluggard and the wicked, they will lose it. But those devoted to the Lord and righteousness will gain it eternally. Sound familiar? Those who would save their lives will lose it. Those who will lose their lives for Christ, for righteousness, for the kingdom, save it eternally. That's what this verse is calling us to. If you're the Lord, it's calling us, the reward is life, eternal life in the kingdom. Those whose lives are devoted to the fear of I am will be rewarded with life and true riches Maybe in this life, certainly in life to come. So that's it. Very good. Well, we got a few minutes over, um, but thank you. Let me know if you have any questions. Um, hope you guys have a good uh, Thanksgiving and rejoice. Give thanks to Him. So good to us, and all we have is from Him and for Him. He's to be praised and thanked for it. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Your Word. Thank you for Your truth. Thank you for providing. So many things for our needs, things to enjoy. Keep us from being enslaved to them, trusting them, loving them, but loving you, the giver, devoting our lives to living the way you have ordained. We thank you for it. Prepare us for the service to come. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.